B2B Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Molly Raycroft, joined by my assistant, Adam Harper. Hopefully, you found our last episode where we travelled to Atos to meet Kat and Ruth. Really interesting. Uh, if you happen to miss it, then don't panic. It is still available on our podcast channel. Just go and dig it back up. It's one episode before. Uh, however, this episode is all new and we're really excited for you to hear it. Molly, who did we go and meet? We went and met the number one most influential woman in B2B tech marketing as voted for by the B2B marketing readers. It was Christine Bailey from Valator. Uh, Dr. Christine Bailey, don't mm-hmm. forget. Uh, we had a great conversation about something that always seems obvious, but is actually a lot trickier and way more interesting than we ever give it credit for, which is how to leverage and utilize insights to create a great B2B marketing campaign and strategy. Uh, without further ado, let's get started and I hope you enjoy. I'm Christine Bailey. I've been working in B2B technology marketing for the last 30 years, running European departments for some really large companies like Hewlett-Packard and Cisco. And currently I'm the Chief Marketing Officer of Valator, which is an international payment solutions company. And today we're going to be talking a bit about customer insights and how to use that to create memorable marketing. Yeah, so customer insights can be used in just about every area of the marketing and I think the best place to start with is to align them to your marketing objectives. Mm-hmm. So again, don't talk about the tactics or the, thing, the many, many things that you're doing. Think about the high-level objective. Okay. So what are your high-level objectives with this? So at Valator, we have five marketing objectives. We're amplifying the Valator brand. We're creating content and thought leadership. We are uh, doing demand generation for customer acquisition and development. Uh, we're driving customer retention, and we're increasing employee satisfaction, employee advocacy. So if we start at the beginning, it's about setting the strategic direction and using customer insights to do that. And right at the very beginning, have you got a mission statement that really has a purpose, that people care about, that people can get passionate about? And have you got a value proposition that matters to customers? So we're not talking about features and benefits of the product, we're talking about customer pain points and how you can help solve them. So that was the starting point for me when I joined Valator is how do we go from we've got Valator is now 36 years old it's always been number one in the marketplace in Iceland it was a leading issuer and acquirer but then its journey outside of Iceland and on the road to being an international payment solutions company and the all the acquisitions that we've made how can we transform the thinking of being an Icelandic issuer and acquirer and acquirer to being an international payment solutions company. So we went out and did a piece of um, strategic insights research, which was a five-stage process. So first of all, we did all interviewed all the internal stakeholders who obviously had a very you know a view on what we stood for and where we were going. Then we did an analysis of the marketing messages of our top competitors. So we weren't looking at whether those marketing messages uh, held true or not. We were just looking at you know, what, how were they positioning themselves. Then we interviewed a number of payments experts in the industry, we'll see, see what they thought. And then, of course, the really rich piece was going to uh, out and talking to customers and, and prospects to get their viewpoint. And from that, we then came up with some insights as to how people thought about the market, created some personas, and we came up with a new mission statement. And that was the starting point. And then from there, 
there being many other insights that we brought into just about every aspect of marketing, but that was a starting point. So when you got those customer insights, were they different to what you expected them to be? Well, the one that just intrigued me the most was the fact that people don't care about payments. They, they just want it to happen. Um, so they just want it to be easy. And that's where we came to our mission statement of we make buying and selling easy. And at the time, I had some resistance to that because people were quite black and white about it and said, well, we only control the payments piece. There are many more pieces to making buying and to doing buying and selling. And I would use the example of Cisco at the time where I came from was saying, well, we change the way the world lives, works, plays and learns. Like, how, how do you do that through the network? You know, but it's all about being aspirational. And as long as you can make a valid claim as to why you're contributing to that, but then it's okay to have that as a mission. So we make buying and selling easy because we take care of the customer's payments. They don't have to worry about that at all. So they can concentrate on doing what they're best at, which is buying and selling, because we make the payments piece easy. So, sorry, when you get um, customer insights, how do you prioritise which ones you particularly need to focus on? And what happens if you have contradicting insights from customers? The best thing actually is to talk to them about it mm -hmm. um, or debate it on a panel you know, with an audience so that you, you get more than one perspective. I think to go back to what's the most important, I think you've got to go back to your objectives and key results. Remember yeah. why you were doing the research in the first place uh, and it's often that one degree of difference that is going to make the, you know, it's going to have the biggest impact. And just experiment. We love experiments in marketing. We've got a perfect excuse for experiments in in marketing. And I, and I love the quote, you know, Thomas Edison. We I, I, we haven't failed. I, I haven't failed. I've just found ten thousand ways that didn't work. So we've we've all got a great excuse if something doesn't work in marketing. I think, but we've got no excuse not to continually test and learn. So if we get an insight, test it, you know, and, and learn from it. it. It might not be accurate, or it might have been something that was a bit of an anomaly. So Try something different and test it. But don't make sure you've you've still got sort of A B testing. You know, don't just don't change everything because then you won't know what is actually appropriate to attribute it to. So be careful you still have your control group. Using customer insights to make great marketing seems like an obvious formula. So where do companies go wrong with this? Why do they go wrong with it? Everybody's very busy, and I love the uh, the Eisenhower quote, which says, um, "What is important is seldom urgent, and what is urgent is seldom important." And if we're not careful as marketeers, we get trapped in that box of it's urgent and we have to do it now. And we're working for the sales teams; everything has to happen yesterday. But in actual fact, it's the things in the top right box which is. Um, it's, it's really important, but it's not that urgent. Yeah. Are the things that actually we need to focus on, and that's what the customer insights bring us, is that focus on the things that are, are important in the long run, but are not in the immediate and urgent and now, and that's why we need customer insights. Do you think in B2B businesses that are typically more sales than marketing-led, do you think that's why the urgent things have taken priority over the important things? Marketers are historically more, maybe more long-term thinkers than, say, salespeople, um, and that's why maybe sales organisations tend towards the more urgent tasks rather than the more important ones. Yeah, I think it's two reasons. I think it's 
at a company level, if you're driven by objectives, so at Valator we, we use the OKR framework, so objectives and key results, and those are set on a quarterly basis. And you start getting into a rhythm of defining key results on a quarterly basis, and everybody gets a bit obsessed with measurement. And I often push back on that in marketing, because if we just focus deep down into what are we measuring on a quarterly basis, we forget the longer term objectives. So that's one reason if, if companies sort of into this quarterly cycle, then you can get focused on the here and now and not, not the longer term. And secondly, sales are very focused on the thing. You know, they, they want to attend a certain event or they want to buy in leads or they want to do, you know, things that are very immediate. And I love asking the question is, you know, focus on the outcome, not on, on the tactic or the immediate. So what outcome are you looking for? And then you can take it back to a marketing objective, like you're trying to amplify the brand, or you're trying to get more customers, or you're trying to develop customers. And if you can bring it back to that, then there might be, and there probably are, other ways to achieve that objective that are not about that very specific tactic that the salesperson's asking for now. But if you're going to have a really good relationship with sales, it's about talking the same language. So you have to find that middle ground between, you know, delivering the immediate thing and making sure you've got a common language of, you know, what outcomes are we looking for and how are we measuring them so that you both feel that you're being successful and doing the right things, even if you don't agree on the tactics. Um, so a lot of marketers really struggle. They know that they have the insights that the board should find really interesting and should be able to change their businesses for the better, but they lack maybe the gravitas or they, they lack the nous to have them, their, their ideas and insights listened to. Um, have you got any sort of tips on how you build that relationship so that it's more collaborative maybe rather than maybe some of the more top-down challenges that some marketers may have? I think a lot comes down to communications and the ability to tell the story. People tend to jump into the thing that they've done or, or, or the tactic, but you have to tell the story as to why you're doing it, you know, the current situation, what's, um, I love this, I mean, I've heard of something called the SIPAD model, situation, communication, communication, it's, it's sort of a methodology for storytelling, and I always have that in mind when I'm going in to talk to the board, and start with business reasons, back it up with insights, and tell you know, why you're doing it. So what was the story that you told others that enabled you to make that change to your brand? For example, was um, changing the colours of the logo, which might seem quite a small thing. But if you go to Iceland, we have an enormous building and very enormous letters on the top of the building <laughs> with the brand in the colours that, uh, that it used to be. And that was a pretty big deal because we have 100% brand awareness everybody knows us in Iceland. And I come along and go, oh, Worked with a colour psychologist and looked at the colour palettes. And a sort of quick share on colour psychology is there are four colour families. Each colour belongs to one of four colour families, mm. and they each have different characteristics. And the most important thing is that your colour palette is from the same colour family. So, depending which colour family you're from, will say something different about your brand. But the most important thing is that they're from the same family because then the brain will see positive associations with colour as opposed to a negative. So, for example, with colour red, a negative association would be anger, aggression, um, anxiety, uh, danger. And a positive association would be vibrancy, alert, excitement. So it's really important that they're from the same colour family. 
So we looked at the analysis of the Balotor logo colours, and they were from colour families two and four. I was like, oh dear, this is not good. This says that we have leading technology, but we don't really care if we're, we're a leading company. You know, we're very modest. We don't want to lead the market. And that was absolutely not the message that we wanted to convey. So we changed the, the logo colours to family three. And it's a subtle change, but instantly you just look at it and you go, oh, that looks so much. That, I just feel different at looking at that logo with two, you know, from the same colour family as to the previous one. Now, again, that, that, that was, they could have said, no, you're not changing the logo colours, but it was a reasoned argument. And, they, and, and the last point was to show them the difference uh, and then get their buy-in to change it. So once you got the rebrand in place, how did you raise awareness of that? When you're a, a small company, medium-sized company, where people don't know your brand, now, of course, in Iceland, everybody knows we are, we're 100% brand awareness, it's like a marketer's dream. But outside of Iceland, of course, people don't know us because we've come in through uh, various acquisitions and you know, we've been in the UK since 2012. So how do you become known when nobody knows your brand and you haven't got that many customers particularly on the omni-channel side, because we have a unique technology that is brand new, relatively new in the marketplace, so we don't have that many customers who can tell the story for us. And that's often how we do it in B2B, is we get our customers to tell our stories for us. But you don't have to be a payments giant to have to, to be thought leaders, but you do need to be thought leaders. And from that, you need, you need insights. So we our approach very much on the omni-channel side is to be to go out and do market research. Again, when you don't have a big footprint, you, you need to team up with people that do. So yeah. we have commercial partnerships with Retail Week and with WBR, and Retail Week has been doing a number of um, research projects with consumers in the UK, and with WBR we've been interviewing pan-European retailers. And it's given us, we've released five reports so far, Actually, the most recent report research that we did was one that we did ourselves called um, APEX, which is a phrase that I coined, which is called stands for the after-payment emotional experience. Now, if you remember, I said one of the things that intrigued me when I did the first piece of research was that people didn't care about payments. Yeah. And I thought, they might not care about the first payment, but I really care if something goes wrong with the second or third interaction with the payment. And what I mean by that yeah. is, if I buy something in online and I can't easily bring it back in store, or if I you know, can't get a refund on the same credit card, or if I buy it in one country can't bring it back in another, or if I look at my statement and don't recognise something, I can't easily query it. Those are things I really do care about. Or if I get a really bad use of my data and get the wrong offer, there's no excuse for that. So we did a piece of research looking at the after-payment emotional experience. It turns out that people get really emotional about exactly those things. Um, and that piece of research has really struck a chord uh, with people and, and uh, also you know, with, them, with the media. So that gives us great content to go out and share on social and um, you know, gives us the press coverage. It also gives yeah. us fantastic material to go and talk about at conferences. So at MPE, which is the payments conference, um, the conference for the payments industry in Berlin, it made the top three highlights of the conference in the write-up um, oh, wow. was, was that Apex research. So that's where insights can give you, you know, really good stuff for content and for leadership. 
And then, of course, for demand generation, it's very much about the insights that you get as to what's working, what's not working. When you're doing digital now, my goodness, it's all about the numbers. And that's where you usually need some specialist help because it's so specific. You know, you, you, you need analysts in the background and then the people, usually with an agency, to help you interpret all that. But it's, you know, it, it's constantly evolving. And you mentioned earlier that your research is useful to share on social. So has this enhanced your social selling? Uh, social selling. We've, we've got a um, very strong social selling programme that we, that we work with a company to do. And we have um, a couple of LinkedIn groups, the future of SMB payments and the future of retail experiences. Yeah. And we need, we need insights to feed into that group to give us a thought leadership. Come join our group. I think just about everything I do in some way is connected to customer insights. How do you upskill your team and keep them fresh with kind of being strategic and customer focused and always having a focus on those insights that you're getting? But we all align behind the same objectives, but we have different ways of achieving those objectives based on the market. Um, and then it's about just getting the right mindset, getting a diverse team. So I have somebody in the team who I would call the dreamer, and he's, you know, the big ideas, and he kind of is always the one that's bringing some fresh thinking into the team. I've got other people who always, they're the, they're the doers. They will be the practical people who actually, you know, get the work done and you, you can rely on 100%. So I think bringing diversity in the team is a good thing. I do quite a lot of public speaking, so I have to write presentations and the team help me with the data for that. And, and I always share uh, with those presentations and, and usually get them a ticket to come along and, and come along to the conference as well. So they get to learn. I'm always sharing stuff on social media or sharing books that I've read or, you know, usually in the, the team meeting. Um, a lot of that team meeting is about sharing what's on my mind and what I'm thinking about and, and what I'm reading. And then, of course, we talk about the research that we've done and, and what we've learned from that and whether we agree with the findings, what we want, might want to research next. So I would say I'm always encouraging people to think differently. And, and again, you, you create an environment where it's OK to fail and it's, it's better to experiment and fail than not to experiment at all. Um, as I'm sure you hear at these other events you go to, marketing is changing so quickly. Quick, uh, you know, was it, it's changed more in the last two years than it had in the previous 50 or whatever numbers people plug into that statement. Um, so it can be tough for junior marketers starting out to figure out where they should look to build their skills to be more durable and more long-lasting. Um, what would you suggest? What skills within marketing are never going to go away and always going to be most useful? So marketing is always going to be about art and science. Now, the science part has got extremely complicated. So I think it's more of a choice as to uh, everybody has to put art and science into it, but there will be a natural inclination to whether you are more naturally inclined towards the art, science, art side or the science side. So that's something to think about, you know, when you're starting out. Um, I saw this beautiful little video this morning from um, from Pat Cash about bringing the human back into marketing, and it just really resonated with me because I've been thinking about that a lot recently. And he said in his video about it's it's about moving minds, not products. And despite all the technology that we have today, we're not just moving products, we're not just looking at numbers, we're moving minds. 
that's what's important. So we always have to think about the voice of the customer. We always have to think about people that we're marketing to at companies. They might be at companies, it might be B2B, but they're still people at the end of the day. So what is it that we're going to do to move those minds? And I mean, so many, it, it is so hard to do marketing these days. You know, with GDPR, we've got the, the joy of privacy, of not having so much spam, but now we're getting FOMO, aren't we? The fear of missing out. You know, we're, we're not getting those offers through that we used to get anymore. So people are starting to realise the implications of, of, of not giving up their data. So with all the technology we have, all the regulation, we've got to remember that it's not just mechanical. We've, still, we've got to find ways to move minds and stay going back to the customer. You can never do one by listening to the voice of the customer. Okay, great. Well, we have one last question, which Adam always asks about... Um, a B2B book club that we yeah. run. And lucky you've given us a hint that this is something you do all the time already. Uh, but we like to share other things in books that our, our interviewees have found really interesting and our listeners should be getting their hands on. So if you could recommend one book right now to our audience, what would it be? You see, you've made it so hard asking me to recommend one, but I'm going to recommend the one I've read. You have two if you read. <laughs> I've literally just finished um, reading Mark Schaefer's latest book called The Marketing Rebellion. I mean, he had me at Rebellion, um, <laughs> but the, the rest of the book was um, about the, the most human company wins. So I'm instantly, because I'm thinking a lot about the need to be human and the need to connect to the voice of the customer, that, that just resonated with me. And I, I love Mark Chaper's um, podcast. Um, so that's the book that I've, I've just finished reading and highly recommend it. Great. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Christine. There you have it. There's all the information you need to know about how to use customer insights to psychological theory and applying it practically to these things is super interesting. Um, and I think it's something that not enough marketers really do. They talk about the merging of art and science, but often the science isn't that scientific. So hearing somebody who really knows how to do that go about it was actually something really valuable to me personally. Okay, well that's everything from this week, so thank you so much and we look forward to bringing you the next episode too.